My name is Amy and when I think of Swedish traditions, what immediately comes to mind is fika or Midsummer's Day celebrations. But there's another quite unique tradition that I hadn't heard of before. In the last episode of Rough Guides, we spoke to Lola Akamade Akastrom, a Swedish-based photographer, about the idea of responsible photography. While I was in Sweden, I'd heard about a tradition that was still being kept alive by a small community of folk singers. If you want to get a feel for the lesser-known cultures or traditions of a country, head to roughguides.com, where you can plan and book your own tailor-made trip with the help of local experts. Yeah, my name is Susanne Rosenberg and I'm a folk singer. Suzanne teaches at the Royal College of Music in Stockholm. She's a Swedish folk singer and teacher specialising in a type of singing known as kulning, or cow calling. As we were in the city, we paid Suzanne a visit at her home in Stockholm to find out more about this traditional art form used for communicating with cattle. So it'd be interesting to hear how uh, you got involved with singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I started with uh, traditional singing or folk singing when I was in my 20s. I actually got like fallen in love with, with folk music and folk singing and uh, started to learn a lot about it and, and visited old women like this in the kitchen, learning things. Uh, and then quite soon I got to hear about this specific technique and uh, music that's called kulning or kulok. And uh, so I tried to figure out how could I learn this. And uh, there was still some woman who, who used this as a practice actually uh, at that time. And um, I tried to do the same then to, to listen to hear what did they do and try to copy. And then I have, have an enormous help with, with uh, all these like historic recordings that are made during the 20th century about this. Uh, there are a lot actually. I was wondering if you could explain exactly what cooling is. <laughs> yeah, let's see if I can do some short explanation. If you want to have it very, very short, you could say that it's a, a way of using your voice to communicate over long distances. So it's a communication tool. It's also an improvisation but the origin is, it has been developed as a communication tool outside. If you take the horn from the cow and you, you put, uh, you blow it, you, you do it in a special way that it's 
become an instrument and then you can uh, by drilling three ho holes in it you can play melodies on it and the sonality of that melody that that comes from doing the the holes that way is the same tonality as in this music the practice of uh, having this fair boot where you put the animals in the woods where would be probably where it would evolve from you could say that it's middle ages anyway but it's also a practice in Norway it's practice in Sweden it's practice in Finland and in Norway I think they have uh, older uh, where they actually can say that this has been practiced here since uh, 13th century or something like that maybe yeah so it's quite old it's very hard to trace because you cannot know about the voice could you talk a bit more about the history of the word? Kulning is it's so amazing because kulning as a word also means actually a, a cow call. That is the origin of it. But it's a dialect word. And there are um, many, many words that means the same thing. Kaukning, kökning, lalning, lolning. All these words means the same. Uh, so today it, it has been, you could say that it has, been transferred into the the overall word for everything that has to do with calling. Um, usually, I think that people connect it with high pitch singing, uh, melismatic um, voice um, phrases without any specific lyrics. They have the same syllable, and then you sing it on more than one uh, pitch tone. More than one tone. So you, you do la, 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 like that. That is melismatic. Today, I would say that it's commonly used everywhere where people who know this uh, tradition would like to, to use it. So it can be uh, in the pub, it could be on a concert venue, it could be outside. It could actually be calling your kids in for dinner. <laughs> it could be uh, like an assault alarm. But if you go back, like 50 years back, it, its origin is to use it at the Fairbood, that is a place out in the woods where you spend the summer with the animals, cows and sheep and uh, goats, uh, and you... Um, use this voice technique to call them home because you cannot see them because there are so much trees trees there but today it's actually the context has changed a lot so using them in, in that kind of uh, places as it was uh, started it's not so common today actually And this tradition is a totally female tradition. It's only women who do this. Uh, and uh, therefore you could say it's kind of a, a, a woman collective that is usually older, older women and very young women. And so women were, it's usually women, like you said, on their own with the animals out mm. in the fields. Was that dangerous? Absolutely, it was. And you could imagine that the cows, it's like the 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 most precious resource that you have in, in that kind of time. So you need to take care of them so they are not assaulted or, or eaten up by bears or, or wolves or whatever. So, so it's a really a risky and a, a response. We have to be very responsible and hard work as well. The tradition was that in, the, in May, 
like this time now when the birch leaves when they are lagom <laughs> then you take the cows and you go up uh, into the woods and probably you will have to go up also and then you come to a place that you already know that is like small huts where you stay the whole summer from about around May to around September. I was unfamiliar with this word, lagom, but I knew that I had heard of it somewhere before. It was during my conversation with Lola, who I spoke to in the last episode. So lagom is... Um it's often described as not too little, not too much, just right. It's the, a very Swedish word, a very Swedish, I say it's a Swedish mentality. But I also think it's a word that's a lot more complex and nuanced because it really, really permeates Swedish society and the mindset. I wanted to find out more about the idea of Lagom, this aspiration to lead a balanced life and what it might mean to people living in Stockholm. Well, this is, I guess, the most Swedish word. <laughs> it's the perfect uh, amount of thing, of something, of anything, <laughs> I guess. That it's like something in the, in the middle, it's not too much, not too little. Not too little, not too much, I think. Uh, it's really hard explaining to other people, but like, just right. Logo means mittemellan, uh, between this and this, that's logo. Jag har fått lagom mycket sömn. I use it every day. Like people that don't know Swedish, like, what does that mean? When you think of lagom as a skill, right? So everybody has an internal skill that always needs to be balanced. Anything that's too much stresses the skill to one side. Anything that's too little also stresses the skill. So the lagom mindset tries to find balance. It's um. It's tied to sustainability because it needs to create habits that can sustain that balance. So it's a very nuanced word. It's not just just a little, just too much, just right. I think it's a very nuanced word. And yeah. we've also been reading about lagom. Yeah. Do you think kulning contributes to that? It's an amazing word, actually. It means, um, for me, it means balance. And if you if you say balance, then you would say that cooling is balance. Lagom is about finding that balance, I think. And in that respect, I would say that cooling is lagom. <laughs> but I, I'm sure that, that some people would say that that is not lagom because it's too loud and too much of everything and so on. So it's it's very strong and it's it's very high uh, subglottal pressure. Subglottal pressure is the pressure of air that you have below your vocal cords, and uh, it means that if you have a lot of subglottal pressure, you need to kind of hold together your larynx or or your vocal cords a bit more, and that um, and that that they are tighter. The volume of this is very very strong, 120 decibels or something at 30 centimeters. Actually, compared with the pneumatic drill. <coughs> 
Maybe it's not as lagom as I first thought. Perhaps Kulning is its own thing. When you hear these female voices singing, they're making incredibly loud and high-pitched noises, which makes me wonder, how do they do it? I remember myself, this was recorded like in the middle of the night and it was totally still and uh, the, the... you could, you, I could hear my voice go back and forth. So you hear that it's echo not only once but several times actually. It's really, and that is recorded from a raft that in the middle of the lake where some microphones are on it and I'm standing on the shore. It sounded a bit like eerie yodeling. It sent shivers down my spine and made the hair stand up on my arms. Do you think there is uh, still a place for this Swedish style of music singing today? Absolutely. I would say that there is uh, a big place and uh, I think that the amazing thing is that I have, um, I organize uh, courses at the Royal College of Music where I work. I mean, there are so many people who wants to pr- to learn this. And they go from people who just heard it on the radio and want it. Wow, what a technique. To those who are like very much into singing and want to learn something new, a new skill or something. We have a word in Swedish that's called folkbildning. Folk education. It's like... something that uh, people want to attend even if you you can be an amateur you can be a professional you can be a semi-professional or anything so cooling actually exists today uh, through in these very different places the practice of communicating with the animals is not really there anymore but the practice of it as a musical like an instrument or a a musical practice uh, and the way of doing it as an improvisation art and so on is really really alive and that's amazing that it that that it has this power to transform from being very very local you can say it's very local and very very specific in this environment woods in the summertime calling the cows and now today it's actually you can you can meet it anywhere and during my lifetime it's has really changed this hearing Suzanne talk about the importance of maintaining this cultural practice makes me realize that that's one of the reasons why I go traveling to experience a cultural heritage that isn't my own and to come away knowing more about a place that I've been to 
folk music has in Sweden anyway a very or traditional music has this ability to exist both with amateurs and professionals and I think uh, the traditional music is surviving and, and it has a subculture. Preserving subcultures like Kulning allows us to see how traditions are formed and how they develop over time. We get to learn so much about a particular place's history and from that what's important to its residents and why. And there's an insight into the ordinary way of life, away from kings and queens and battles and politics. In our Iceland episode, we learnt about the landscape of the West Fjords through the Museum of Witchcraft and Sorcery. In Sweden, since its humble beginnings in the Middle Ages, Kulning has transformed into a thriving music scene in more recent years. Tradition is not the form to be imitated, but the discipline that gives integrity to the new. So that, that is my kind of uh, motto, that tradition is, is just that I feel that this is a wonderful way of, of using your voice or, and uh, expressing yourself today in, in this society. And you can say in that, that respect it's, it's that you could lose things that are maybe important qualities like artistic qualities or musical qualities or whatever that, that get lost if you don't uh, continue doing it. But the reason for doing it should only be because you think it's... it's um, have something to say to yourself. It's not a thing by itself to, to preserve, I think. And because it's a moving thing, that tradition is always on the move, it's nothing stable about it. It, it has to be uh, practice in the act of singing. It's not a, a dead thing, it's an act of, of doing, act of singing, act of playing, act of dancing, whatever you do. And I think that, that is, uh, that's amazing. Thank you to Suzanne Rosenberg for sharing her record collection, amazing voice and some pretty great coffee with us. This episode was hosted by me, Amy White, and produced by Femi Oriogan-Williams for Reduce Listening. We'll be back in two weeks' time with extreme adventurer Ash Bardwaj. His most recent journey saw him venturing from Arctic Norway all the way down to Crimea on a unique adventure exploring the length of the European-Russian border for a project that he's calling the New Iron Curtain. In the meantime, keep your eyes peeled on our website for our guide to making the most of the rest of the year, which comes out this week. And if you're looking to get away, visit roughguides.com to plan and book your own bespoke adventure with the help of local experts. Next Monday, make sure you listen to the last episode in the series of Insight Guides, the travel podcast, where they'll be taking a look at festivals in Tokyo.